what does becoming a record breaker require? How do we go further than anyone has gone before and leave a legacy of mastery? How do we push the limits of what's possible and elevate craft to the level of art? Bulgari's new podcast, Be Maestro, is answering these questions with a series of exclusive interviews. Together, we'll uncover the unique paths that extraordinary individuals forged when achieving the seemingly impossible. Each guest is a master in their field who has made a mark on time. Be Maestro, a Bulgari podcast inspired by the record-breaking spirit of the Octo Finissimo Watch Collection. Time stands still. You're listening to the Be Maestro podcast. Beatrice Venezzi is a conductor. Music is her life, the source of her inspiration. She's a woman in a man's world. A world that's changing, slowly but surely. Hello everybody, I'm Beatrice Venezzi. I'm a conductor. I was born in Lucca in Italy, so I'm Italian, but I live in Switzerland since a couple of years. I live in Lugano. I made my debut when I was 22, and that was quite a challenge, I must say, but I will tell you more later. Buongiorno, Beatrice. We're in the Bulgari store in Geneva. We're in Switzerland and a little bit in Italy, too. You are Italian. What, what does it mean to be Italian these days? So for me, being Italian is, first of all, a great honor. And, uh, and this is something that I always try to bring on stage together with my performance. My parents were not musicians, so this is not a family business. I started out in piano through a woman who was giving lessons in my elementary school, and I immediately loved it. It was a way to, to express myself by means of music. I can't live without music because it's my everyday life and my head is full of music, actually. But if I have to choose, sometimes I would rather prefer silence because when I listen to music, this is, for me, it's not just listening. It's receiving a lot of information. Therefore, my, my head is full of music and information at the same time. That's why sometimes I really need to rest through silence. I, I love very much to listen to the sounds of nature as well. This is a great source of inspiration for me. Is silence a form of music? Sometimes my life is full of silence as well, because my path is quite a lonely path. So the conductor actually is lonely, completely alone on the podium. All the responsibility of the performance is on his shoulders. On the other hand, there's a lot of competition in my field to gain a position, even more than among musicians, because if you think about the proportion for 70 musicians of the orchestra, there's just one conductor. And that's why it's quite a lonely road, just to quote a, a song, an old song, right? My life is as well full of silence, but it's complimentary, I think. I do prefer silence to some kind of music. For instance, bars and restaurants or uh, public venues and uh, where, where you always listen to this background. It hits your ear in a very strong way. Um, then you do not really have the chance to focus nor on the music, nor on what you're talking to, to the person you're talking to. What does a conductor do exactly? 
What does a conductor do? We keep the tempo for the orchestra, so we are the master of tempo, so of time and rhythm. Of course, we tell the, the musicians to play louder or softer, but all these informations are basically written already on their musical parts. The real thing is that if you have 70 people of the orchestra, then you would have 70 interpretation of the same piece. So that's the role of the conductor. The conductor has to define an interpretation and to state the goal, the common goal that everybody, the whole team has to reach. I like to see the, the conductor a bit like a trainer uh, for the orchestra, a trainer that plays in the field. The work of the conductor is based on the score. We cannot change any note or any rhythm that is written in the score, but there's a lot to do about interpretation. For instance, you can enhance a certain section of the orchestra or a certain instrument, or a melodic line instead of another. So all the balance is up to the conductor. And of course, you, you find written in the score, if it's forte or piano, but how much forte and how much piano is something that you have to fill. And again, the tempo as well. You find all the agogics, the indication of the agogics written in Italian, allegro, andante, lento, and things like this. But apart from some pieces which have the, the metronome indication as well, it's up to you to interpret this allegro or this lento or this andante. You can sort out yourself and you have to, to feel yourself and then you have to transfer that to the orchestra. And this makes a lot of difference. Do conductors suffer from stage fright? I am sometimes afraid before the first rehearsal with a new orchestra. Also because we have a short rehearsal period before the concert, generally one to maximum three days before reaching the concert, before going on stage together. So we don't know each other. I have no idea how they will react to me, to my leadership, to me being a woman, to me being a young conductor, well, of course, to, to my gesture or to my musical ideas. I have no idea about their reaction. So I'm kind of afraid at the very beginning, very thrilled as well. When you have all these people in front of you, the, the musicians of the orchestra, then of course they have worked and they have studied for um, years and years. And if you count them all, then of course you, you're working with the knowledge of 2000 years. This gives you a different perspective, definitely. And that's why I also believe in a different approach to Leadership. Every time it's a big challenge. And this is very interesting. One of the most interesting things of my work. And this changes a lot also on the basis of the culture. So working in Japan, in Argentina, in UK or in France or in Italy, well, it's something completely different every time. You have to take into account also all the traditions and uh, everything that is related to the society and the cultural aspect. What does it take to become a female conductor? I do feel I have a mission as a female conductor. I realized it for the first time when I went to Armenia. I was the very first woman to conduct in Armenia, in Azerbaijan, and at the Opera House in Tbilisi, in Georgia. And those were experiences I will never forget. 
I realized the importance of being a woman conducting in such countries, especially after the concerts, because there were quite a lot of women from the audience coming backstage and saying, well, we've never seen anything like this. I remember a woman in Tbilisi, she told me, you couldn't do anything harder than this, a woman conducting here. So these things just let you understand that there's much more than music. There's the artistry, but then there is also the social dimension, which is very important and you can hit it. When I started taking conducting lessons in Florence with Piero Bellugi, who has been my very first teacher and maestro, he never showed me any prejudice in the matter of being a woman conducting. I kind of grew up the first years with the idea that it was natural, it was normal. I could do that. Being a woman doesn't change anything. I mean, I just wanted to fully express myself through conducting. And he gave me the impression and the idea and the power, the motivation to go on because he never underlined this gap and this change. Then I went to the conservatory and there I understood what was the opinion of the academy towards women conducting. And um, I perfectly remember once, it was the final concert, you know, at the, at the end of the academic year, there was this concert and um, you could gain the chance to conduct it through an audition and I won. And then there was this you know, voice through the teachers of the academy, through the teachers of the conservatory, were saying, isn't it this program too difficult for a woman conductor? So there I realized that the path was still long and hard, and the long and winding road. They give, instead of letting me down, they give me more strength and more power, I would say, you know, to go on and to overcome all the difficulties. Would you rather be called maestro or maestra? There's a feminine word, which is maestra, but it's not an academic title, such as maestro. It describes a teacher of elementary school. Are you a feminist? I would define myself as a feminist, yes. I think feminism in 2021 means to try to get real equality, equal pay, equal chance to get to top positions, I think this is feminism nowadays. Everything that puts you on the same, on the very same level of your male colleagues. I do not believe in that kind of feminism that wants to simply to translate everything uh, in, in the feminine gender, you know what I mean? For instance, call a maestro, maestra, and that's it, that's done. To me, it's not done because it doesn't change anything in the end. I know this might be not politically correct, but that's, uh, that's what I think. <laughs> I'm a very practical person, so I like facts and not, not just words. I mean, I know words are very important. I know the importance of words, but they might come later. They have to be the result of facts. Between you and Puccini, would you say it's a love affair? I love Puccini maybe because we were born in the same hometown. Uh, we had the same birthplace. And maybe because he's the most modern composer in, in the opera field. His operas were considered to pop for many years. In fact, uh, for many years, his repertoire was not performed in La Scala because it was too pop. And, you know, we have this kind of snobbish idea of culture and classical music that has just to be for 
a tiny elite of persons, and I'm totally against that. Puccini is rather the contrary. Is classical music is very high-level music with a lot of dramaturgy in it for everybody. I like to share, and I want this great beauty of classical music be shared with the widest possible audience. And what about Mozart? I love Mozart. I love to conduct Mozart because it has an Elan Vital, which is uh, simply fantastic and unique, I think. But I'm also frightened by conducting Mozart because the, the balance in between complexity and simplicity is difficult to manage. I struggle a bit with uh, Baroque repertoire because this is not, as English say, it's not really my cup of tea. But, well, I do it as well. What kind of leader are you? In other words, how would you define the Venezi method? In the formerly, we were used to a kind of dictatorship rather than leadership, even in the orchestras. For instance, if you look at some videos of Toscanini on YouTube, then you, you realize which type of leadership it was putting into the orchestra. What I believe nowadays is completely different. Leadership is setting a goal and reaching it together. So convince the orchestra to, to follow me. And it means to have this capacity of human relationship, which is very interesting. It's one of the most interesting things of my work, actually. My conviction of leadership is based on this. It's based on the fact that you're working with people with a lot of knowledge and a lot of experience, even more than mine, maybe, because you're working in the same orchestra since 20 years. They are older than me sometimes. So I have to deal with that, too, and I have to owe them respect. What moments are forever imprinted on your memory? There are a few uh, magical moments in conducting. One is before the, the beginning of a rehearsal, the other is before the beginning of a performance. Sometimes you do not have that much time before the beginning of a performance to, to take your time and just look for concentration because there are so many issues until the very last minute. But the time when you open the door to the stage and you walk to the podium, time is really stretched. It takes longer to get there. There is a magical moment of suspension. I'm sorry that I cannot explain that through words because it's something that it's very difficult to explain through words. You know, it's something that you feel inside. Uh, it's a mixture of excitement, being afraid, willing to go and uh, you already know that you have to give all your energy to the orchestra. Also because, and this is very important to me, the thing that the, the conductor is in the very middle and between the orchestra and the audience. Therefore, he's the point of connection between the energies of the orchestra and the audience. But you have to give it both way to get everybody involved in the performance. What's your relationship with time when you're conducting an orchestra? What's incredible while you're conducting is that Time is something completely different than, than from real life. Because while you're conducting or playing or even listening to music, I guess, time flies on one side and on the other, it never, it never ends. There is a psychological thing and approach towards time while you're conducting, while you're making music. What incredible feat would you secretly like to accomplish in the future? 
My dream as a conductor is, of course, to be on stage on the main stages of the world, the Met in New York or Covent Garden in London or Wiener Stadtsoper or even here in, in Zürich at the Tonhalle or, and, of course, La Scala. But on top of that, what I really would love to be able to do is to leave a print, a footprint, especially to give something back because I received a lot in my life up to now. I feel very lucky and I want to give back. I think that bringing people to classical music is the thing that I can do. This is my vocation, definitely, and I would love to give the widest possible audience, young people, rich and poor, young and old, the widest possible audience to give them the, the chance to get in touch with this matter of classical music. You've been listening to Be Maestro, the Bulgari original podcast. Join us in our next episode to unveil the secrets of those who make their mark on time. Ciao a tutti.